0: Welcome to Startup Syndrome with me, Julia Deline,
1: and me, Andreas Johansson. CEO of a public company had sold off a non-negligible part of their ownership and markets had reacted negatively. So then he went out and made a statement that the company's doing great, we're doing fine. I just need to fund my divorce. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is a podcast where you get an unfiltered view of Stockholm's vibrant startup scene, also known as one of the greatest in the world. <laughs> I recently met with a co-founder of a startup and he just left the startup and he was asking me, can I sell this equity or how do I do that?
1: Yeah. And you came to me and said, we need to discuss this in a podcast episode.
0: Because he asked it to be. And I felt like your wish is our command listeners.
1: I agree. And I also find it quite exciting that our listeners can be super educated in this niche issue.
0: That you hate.
1: Uh, I mean, it's not the most fun issue to discuss, (laughs) maybe, but (laughs) we can make it exciting.
0: (laughs) Let's try. So selling equity in a startup, that's called selling secondaries. And why it's called selling secondaries is because you basically sell something secondhand. You have owned something, the shares, and you sell it to another investor's buying it secondhand.
1: Yeah, and I think when most people think about trading stocks, you think about maybe the public markets, and that's where you kind of intuitively understand that you're buying from another investor, someone else who's been a shareholder. So that's a secondary market. But when you think about investing in startups, usually people probably think about them having done a share issue and you buying shares directly from the company. But it's actually possible to buy shares of an unlisted company by buying shares from another investor. So that's the secondary market.
0: Yeah, and that's then called primaries. If you do a new share issue and buy shares through that.
1: Yeah, it's similar to you can buy clothes from like H&M or Zara or whatever directly from the store. That's the primary market. Mm. But you can, of course, buy secondhand as well from like Selby or from Röda Korset, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I usually say primaries is clothes from Primark are secondhand clothes.
1: Exactly. And everyone knows if you want to look like everyone else, just basic formulaic, then you buy from whatever store you find. But if you want to look cool, find the really unique stuff, then you go to secondhand shops. So it's exactly the same with shares.
0: Yeah. Buying shares in a new share issue that's so 2010. Now it's buying secondaries.
1: Secondaries is the new black.
0: (laughs) So why would shareholders sell their shares?
1: I mean, the case that you brought up now is a super clear one. I mean, for instance, you're a co-founder, you're leaving the company. For the company's sake, they don't want debt equity on the cap table, which we discussed in a previous episode. And maybe for that person, it doesn't make sense to have an ownership in a company you're not longer involved in. So it might make sense to kind of liquidate that position. But there are many other reasons, both founders and investors might want to sell off their shares.
0: Yeah, I mean, they can also think that the company has seen most of its exponential growth and sort of the growth per year versus the return that you can see. is an important aspect for an angel investor because you have to decide where you put your money, right? So maybe you see an opportunity to sell because you want to put that money somewhere else.
1: And regardless what you think about the company and the future growth potential, you might also be in a position where you need to get some cash on hand. And liquidating that position, getting some cash back is, of course, a natural way to get some extra cash, maybe for other investments or maybe, I don't know, your mortgage is going up or something (laughs) uh, and you need some cash handy.
0: Yeah. And the fourth reason why a shareholder would sell their shares is that sometimes it happens that in a primary sale, so in a new share issue, a round is oversubscribed. There are too many investors for the equity available to buy, then it might be possible for any of the existing shareholders to sell their shares so that, for example, a strategic investor can come in and get that target ownership that they usually want in a startup.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important point because either you can do a secondary sale not connected to a liquidity event. So you're just between rounds, for instance, and for some reason a shareholder wants to leave Then you can sell to another investor or back to an existing investor, or you can do it in connection to a liquidity event. So for instance, in the case you brought up uh, around being oversubscribed, I mean, there are new investors coming in, buying new shares in the company, but they can also buy existing shares.
0: Yeah. Then the price is more easy to set as well.
1: Yeah. I think an important aspect to understand is just kind of the risk not only associated with investing in early companies and the volatility tied to that. But part of the risk of startup investing is also liquidity, because in public markets, you can sell whenever, but through these secondary sales, that's a way to access a little bit more liquidity because you're not as locked in anymore. But I should mention that it's not the same thing selling secondaries when it comes to public markets compared to private ones.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, for different people, it makes more sense to get liquid assets. And it really depends on the reason why you're selling, of course. I mean, we talked about this co-founder and founders is obviously one of the people who are at some point probably interested in selling parts of their shares. It can be to get that liquidity or basically just diversify your own portfolio. Maybe you have a huge ownership in your own startup. But you would uh, be interested in not having all of your eggs in the same basket and, and putting some eggs in other baskets, investing in other startups, for example.
1: Yeah. And another class of people who are also kind of probably interested in these types of secondaries are early investors. So usually your angels or people who kind of invested in early rounds, they are more likely to kind of want to get back their return earlier than, you know, VCs who stepped in a little bit later.
0: Yeah. And then you have the employees who might have been issued stock option programs that then were exercised to shares. And now they sit on shares. Maybe they're not employed at the company anymore, so they don't have that same insight. So they don't really know where the company is going. Then they might also want to sell off their shares or just to liquidate assets, of course.
1: Yeah. And for founders, aside from them leaving the company, we actually had a coach who gave the advice to many of our startups that... At every liquidity event, it might be a smart idea for the founders to liquidate part of their ownership, just to have some carrot, some incentive, because you're working very long hours for a lot of years, most of the time. Uh, A lot of that is totally uncompensated, uh, aside from just a number on a paper going up in terms of the valuation. But just getting some sense of like, okay, we're actually making progress here. We're earning some money. Part of my investment, I can actually liquidate here. Uh, that's usually a good idea for founders to to do uh, when they bring in rounds.
0: Yeah, and same for early investors. I'm in the midst of doing the annual education program that I run together with Breakit. And as part of the research that I brought up in this education program is that sometimes it's even better for you as an angel investor to actually sell parts of your shares also at each liquidity event. So each round coming after you invested, not because it's maybe the best return of that, but maybe it's the best risk-reward ratio.
1: And if we're looking at the other side of the transaction, who usually buys secondaries?
0: So it's almost always the already existing owners or shareholders or new investors coming in. And I mean, some shareholders have targets like... They always want to own more than 10% or they always want to own more than 4% because those are different thresholds if you look at the Swedish log and the Swedish Companies Act.
1: So, of course, an important question you might ask is how do you determine the price? And I mean, to some extent, we talked about this being a secondary market and in a market, the buyers and sellers agree on a price, but that doesn't give us too much info. So... I mean, there are two different cases here. One where this is connected to an an actual liquidity event and one where it's outside. So in both cases, how is the price determined?
0: So if it's a current transaction, then usually you base the price off of the pre-money valuation of the new share issue. However, if it's uh, not within a primary sale or a current liquidity event, the price is, as you say, basically set by the market. And I've seen everything from 50% to 80% of the last round price, but it so depends on how far back the last round was, what has happened since that round. You can, of course, have an external party value the company, but usually you just decide on a price that some buyer is willing to pay for it.
1: And in our own fund, SSE Ventures, our investors are shareholders. And I mean, we have set up a structure for that. So maybe you can explain how that works when they want to do secondary sales.
0: Yeah. So because we have so many investors, it was the most easy thing to do to decide exactly how the price is set. And sometimes you see this in shareholders agreements that it's actually decided if someone external party needs to value the company or if there's any other way that you actually go about selling secondaries. In our case, we call the capital over seven years. And after that, you are able to sell your shares on an open market. Of course, the price needs to be set by an external party, but it doesn't have to be someone externally who value the company and say, this is the valuation, this this is what you can sell for. But it's more that you need to find a buyer outside of the existing shareholders to set the price. And then you actually need to go back to the existing shareholders with that price, offer the shares first to them. For that price. And if they all say no, you can offer it to this external buyer.
1: What's known as right of first refusal.
0: Yes, or behold in Swedish. Yeah. And usually you see this in your Bolagsordning, so your Articles of Association. Or you actually see it in the shareholders agreement. You can have it in both of them.
1: And this is something to be aware of that this is standard here in Sweden. All the existing shareholders have a right to first refuse to buy. That's the right of refusal. First refuse to buy the shares before you're able to offer them to new investors. And this can differ a bit uh, if we're very niched into this subject. It can differ a bit between like preferred stock and other stock, also in terms of the price and so on. Uh, but that's really getting into the nitty gritty.
0: And this is not to be confused with the right of first refusal in the US, for example, where it's actually the company has the right to first refuse to buy the shares. But in Sweden, the company cannot hold their own shares.
1: So let's say hypothetically that I'm an investor in a company, I own 10% and I want to liquidate my position as secondary sales and all of the existing investors, they exercise their right to buy these shares because they all have that right. So what happens then?
0: So if it's an investor in our fund, basically you would have to go out to an external buyer who will say, okay, this is the price that I would be willing to pay and then you would offer... All of us, the existing shareholders, shares first at that price. And for example, if I own 5% of the fund, then everyone wants to buy. I have the right to 5% of your shares. So that would basically mean that I would own 5.5% after I bought my pro rata, so my proportional right to your shares.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Hmm. And I mean, we mentioned all of the positive aspects, both for the company to be able to get rid of debt equity, to be able to get new investors in other situations than a liquidity event if someone wants to leave, or to kind of distribute that share among the existing investors, and for investors, possibility for them to liquidate. But are there any risks with this?
0: Of course. I mean, you mentioned the difference between the public and the private market, and Of course, it can be such a hassle for a seller to actually find a buyer in the private market. Just going about all of that red tape of selling your shares, I have to find an external buyer to potentially buy it, right? Or set the price. And then I have to go back to my assistant shareholders. Usually you give them 30 days to get back to me if they are interested in buying my shares or not. And then you have to go back to the external buyer and see if they are able to buy it still and at the same price. And there is so much things that can happen during this time, but it's it can be a hassle for sure.
1: Yeah. And kind of what about the signal that that could send if an early investor or a founder sells off all of their shares or a big part of their shares?
0: Yeah. I mean, being an early co-founder like my friend who wants to sell his equity after just a few years, it might signal to future investors that he doesn't think that this company has any chance of... Of actually growing more. And of course, that's not going to be an easy explanation for the other founders to sort of say, well, yeah, he is not interested anymore. So I think if you're selling secondaries, it's so important to think about the company first. Is this damaging the company in any way or is this an attractive round if I'm selling when we're doing a capital round? then it might be easier to set the price. It might be easier to find other investors who want to come in anyway, and maybe they have a certain threshold that they want to come up in, and so they're interested in buying my shares. But just selling in the midst of everything, then I would say the only reason that would be justifiable towards other shareholders or new investors is that I need cash right now. So it's only a private decision.
1: I mean, it's a similar dynamic to public markets. If you see a CEO selling off a big chunk of their ownership, that probably sends a negative signal to the market. And you might see a drop in share price based on that. A a side note, but uh, I saw online a CEO of a public company had sold off a non-negligible part of their ownership and markets reacted negatively. So then he went out and made a statement that the company's doing great, we're doing fine, I just need to fund my divorce. (laughs) (laughs) And had gotten a lot of positive feedback for his transparency. So
0: I mean, as I mentioned, I would say that that's the only reason why I would think it's okay that someone who's very active in the company or at least have a lot of insight would actually, not the divorce (laughs) per se, but (laughs) needing the liquidity in cash.
1: Yeah, going back to why you might want to sell off. I mean, sometimes you need cash on hand. (laughs) Yeah. What if you, as a company, see one of your investors selling to someone else in a secondary sale, but you don't want that person on your cap table? Mm. What do you do then? Can you do anything?
0: (laughs) I mean, usually this is regulated by the shareholders agreement. So it would usually say or you can put in there that the founders together with some investors or some percentage of the owners should have the right to refuse certain investors or have the right to decide if a new investor is coming in or not but of course this is easier when you're a small company but after a while you can't really control how the secondaries are being sold like if you have huge employee stock option programs that have our exercise to shares and you have a lot of employees just selling shares I mean that's a huge market to keep track on you can't really you can't really have a say in who buys it
1: yeah and um- Returning back to some of the risks or downsides of secondaries, um, Sebastian Sematkowski, the founder of Klarna has told this anecdote many times, but the fact that they, as the founding team, especially he spent a lot of time and effort in the beginning, just facilitating the sale of secondaries, which is time off of his table, which is not value adding to the company, not directly at least because you're not getting any cash as a company. You're just helping other investors sell off their shares to third-party investors.
0: Yeah, I think this is a great story and you can read all about it on Flat Capital's website. Uh, It's also one of the reasons we made ST Ventures an evergreen fund because we wanted to be a long-term investor who invested early on and weren't annoying with selling secondaries.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would hate to spend a lot of my time doing something that I know is not adding any value to of my day-to-day life or my company, but just to be nice to other investors.
0: Yeah. Selling secondaries is hard and being in all of that as a founder is definitely something to keep in mind that it's going to come sooner or later. And then it's good to have most of these paragraphs in the shareholder agreement and the And the articles of associations sort of keep track of what you can do and exercise your rights.
1: Yeah. I can imagine that Klarna and Sebastian made a lot of friends, though, by doing that, because probably a lot of the people that stepped in and bought those secondaries are probably happy they did so by now.
0: Definitely. So you are responsible for the alumni company of the week. Who did you choose?
1: I chose the company Stixson, mm. which is a D2C premium cap brand and also a company that came into the business lab right before I started. So this was part of the first batch, which I was kind of part of being in the coaching and all the workshops and getting to know really well. So it's a team and a company very close to my heart. Mm, that's nice. And they were founded by Asim Kanker in twenty seventeen, who later brought in Alexander Friedberg Shell Okesh as a co-founder. And then a couple of years later, in twenty nineteen, they came into the business lab. And that's when this company went from kind of a side project and more of a hobby to kind of very much head down, full force ahead, full focus on you know growing and scaling.
0: And it was in the midst of the D2C trend going viral and I think it's so cool because Asim has a background in P&G working for FMCG brands and so he knows this whole logistics space and how to sell these kind of uh, products and I mean the way that they have scaled this company is quite quite cool.
1: And I know you have plenty of their caps, I do too, I wear them all the time. I'm not typically a cap guy but I Truly love their their style. So I wear my cap a lot.
0: Yeah, they made me a cap girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they also have a really fun anecdote about how they got their name, Stixen. Because Asim, when he was growing up, uh, going to school, you weren't allowed to wear a cap in most schools, probably that's the case. But in his school, that definitely was the case. So his teacher would tell him, Asim, take off your cap and then leave. And that in Sweden uh, translates to Asim... So that's the name, Stixen.
0: I love that story. (laughs) And they were recently highlighted in Break It because they're doing another line, right? Yeah, hats. Mm, Like winter hats.
1: Exactly, not Mm. like what you wear with the tuxedo.
0: (laughs) It's a very smart idea because caps, I guess, are usually worn in the summer. And then it's a quite cyclical business. And then to mitigate that, you also do winter caps.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to see these hats. So I think everyone should check them out once they launch.
0: And carve-outs. You have the most boring (laughs) carve-outs ever in this episode, but. I'll let you do it.
1: Yeah, so I'm encouraging everyone to apply for electricity support, (laughs) or stud, which you can do before September 25th. Uh, So if you have an electricity network agreement with the network operator, you can get a quite substantial cut on your electricity bill. Uh, And I just noticed that I saw some email I had received that they had received a lot fewer applications for this than they had anticipated. So my suggestion for everyone is to look if you're eligible. You can check that out on Skatteverket's website or tax authority here. And if you're eligible, do apply.
0: Yeah, we love when there's uh, money from the government available for startups.
1: Anything to extend runway.
0: (laughs) That was it for this week's episode. And as usual, we're back next Wednesday. Tell us what you think about the episode and tell us what we should talk about.
1: And if you liked this episode and all of our episodes... Don't forget to rate us on Spotify or Podcaster or whatever app you use to listen. See you next week. Goodbye.